motherfuckers out there. Yeah, even you. Even you. Episode 298. 298, Barry. You know what this means after this week? Means we've only got two more regular shows before. Two more regular shows. And then we're Patreon only. What are the odds that Barry Rose on episode 300 will get a little weepy dad on us? I would say if you're if you're a betting man, I'd start betting right now. (laughs) My kids are all grown. When we we first started the show, they were just babies. Zach was like four. (laughs) Zoe had just been born. Uh On this particular episode, though, besides Weepy Barry, we are going out to Kevin Orcutt's favorite territory. It's Portland, Oregon. For Buddy Rose, the playboy, taking on Jimmy Superfly Snooker. Oh, but it's a young Buddy Rose and a young Jimmy Snooker. 1978. It's March 4th, Barry. Holy shit, a 45-year-old match. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk a little, oh, dark side of the ring. We're talking about the uh, Eddie and Mike Graham show that was on recently. We'll also talk a little bit about the Chris Candido, Tammy Sitch episode. We're going to be offering up some AEW thoughts because they did have the new show that debuted, and we'll have all that. Uh, besides that, we're going to have our friend Sean Davis join us. Uh, Sean is uh, promoting a show in the uh, general Tampa area. That is for a very worthy cause, and we hope you will listen. And uh, perhaps if you cannot join uh, Sean at that show, uh, perhaps send uh, you know, a dollar or two their way, because it is a very worthy cause uh, that Barry and I both wanted to uh, proudly endorse. And uh, thank Sean for talking to us about that. So, uh, so Barry, what do you say we, uh, we talk a little uh, dark side of the ring, first of all? So, Barry, of course, you are a world-renowned CWF archivist, <laughs> not not historian. You're very clear about that. Yeah. And recently on the dark side of the ring, I think we perhaps should address, because uh, so many people do associate you with uh, the history of CWF, with the dark side of the ring episode on uh, Eddie and Mike Graham. First of all, generally speaking, before we get into specifics, what did you think of the episode? I thought it was a uh, – I thought it was a – Good episode. I, I was, uh, I was disturbed when it was over. I was saddened. It, I didn't, uh, I didn't stop watching the episode and was in a great mood. I, I was really bummed out and it, it was, it was tough. And I, uh, you know, I, I'll add some context to it. First of all, before you start adding context, let's, sure. let's give it up for Nicole Gossett. What an absolute champ, uh, that she came off as, you know, just, uh, you know, as I, I made a notation uh, on some Facebook page, you know, life dealt her a tough hand and that she can smile and even uh, tell a joke or two after everything she's been through. God bless you, Nicole. You have tons of respect from not just Barry and myself, but from everybody uh, in our Facebook group, Breaking Kayfabe about her and Barry. Please continue, Barry. She, you know, she really is a great person, too. And uh, the day that they filmed that episode was the day that we were actually having a CWF Legends Fan Fest. It wasn't the one that just took place, obviously. It was the one back in November, and I had invited Nicole, and I think it was Steve Kern. Uh, Steve said, hey, did you reach out to Nicole? And, I, you know, Nicole's been to two of our Fan Fest, maybe three. She's been to two, and I reached out to her, and she had mentioned that she was filming this, and I think when I heard that that they were going to do an episode on the Grams, I, I was really kind of worried about that. and You know, and I... 
in my head, it was, you know, are you going to sensationalize what took place, you know, between Mike and Eddie and obviously Mike's son? And, you know, as the episode revealed, there were five family members. I will say, too, I knew about his brother, his brother, Skip, who was a longtime referee for CWF, also did a lot of office work. The caveat to that is I believe Skip had a he had terminal cancer. So, you know, this, I don't think this was, and I don't know. So let me clearly state that I don't know, but I don't believe Skip took his life based out of despondency and, and depression. I do believe he was facing uh, a long, painful death and decided not to go that route. I was surprised by Eddie's father because that I had never heard before. So that was shocking. But I guess my overall thoughts beforehand were, are they going to really try to sensationalize this and exploit this? And how wrong would that be? And I, I and Nicole was very, when we talked about it, this is, and again, we're going back to November. She basically was very, very pragmatic about it and said that uh, she was under the impression this was going to be handled with class and grace. And I got to tell you, I really felt that they did a really good job. I heard there were complaints about the show, and I think people wanted more. I remember, you know, I, I read one complaint, and it was like, you don't even talk about this, or you're not talking about this. The episode really was focusing on on the Graham family and the tragedies that have occurred with that family. So it, I... In that regard, I thought it was really well done. It didn't come off exploitive. I, I, other than, you know, Eddie's dad committing suicide, I don't think there was much new information with that. But to understand what Nicole has been through, and I don't think any of us will ever have an idea, her grandfather committed suicide when she was a young girl, and that was 1985. And I don't know how old exactly Nicole is, but she was young. She was probably 10. I mean, I don't know exactly how old. At that point, with uh, maybe a decade later, I forget the exact time frame, her brother, who was her best friend, committed suicide, capped off by her father committing suicide. So, you know, I think for a lot of people, when you know, it, it's easy to get lost and it's easy to forget that these are human beings with real emotion. And we should say Nicole was not a wrestling person. She only got involved with the world of wrestling after the fact after her father had passed away and the you know and her, her brother and her, her grandfather and she did that as a form of healing and i i think that's so important she wanted to know who her family was what may have led them to these types of decisions and at the same time understand the impact that the grand family had in the state of florida that's a really big deal right there there was a moment and uh Jeff, you were at the first Fan Fest, and we had Nicole. We had the late uh, Belinda Luttrell Romano with us, and Nicole also was with her husband. Uh, and he he, th- this was a big moment. We we honored we honored Eddie, and we honored Cowboy Luttrell. And we there was a proclamation from the city commissioners, and we were able to present it to Nicole and Belinda. And that was a big deal. And Nicole's husband pulled me aside afterward and said, thank you. And he didn't have to say, and he goes, thank you for everything. And I I knew what that meant. And it was, Nicole's healing has come partly, uh, and, you know, there's a lot that I don't know, first off, I should say. But I, I know that part of her healing has come from being able to learn about, 
her dad and that side of her dad and professional wrestling and the success he had and the same with Eddie. So there was an emotional attachment to it. And I have no problem telling you I sat in bed that night. It was 10 o'clock. I watched the episode and, uh, and I, there were parts I were tearing up and look, it wasn't like, you know, I'd met Eddie what twice and it wasn't like Mike and I were close. I met him a couple of times, a few times, but it wasn't like, but the impact that the Grams had on me, obviously, you know, with my love of all things CWF was huge. And I, I came to the realization many years ago that many of the people that I idolized, uh, had flaws. You know, whether it was somebody like Billy Robinson or Rocky Johnson, right? I mean, Lord knows we've learned about a lot about Rocky in the last five years. And, uh, and it, I, I've had to come to, to terms and come to, to deal with the fact that a lot of the people that I idolized were not perfect and they had flaws and, and there were a lot of these things. And, you know, it, it's tough because a lot of times when I watch CWF or I start to watch, I am, I'm a 12 year old kid again. You know, I can watch a match on YouTube from 1975, you know, Dick Slater versus uh, Johnny Weaver or something. And as I'm watching it, you know, I, I literally am a young kid. And at times it can be difficult to separate the fact that I'm not. So coming up and accepting that my heroes had flaws has uh, has been something that I've been able to do the last few years. And But even with that, watching that episode was tough because – you know, Eddie Graham, by all accounts, was a genius. There, there's no getting. He was a severely flawed man. He did some things that were, you know, he had two families essentially, which is kind of common knowledge at this, at this point. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's so sad when you think the pain that, that these people went through. The, the severity of the pain. And I don't think for one second, and I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. I don't claim to be one. I'm no more knowledgeable on this subject than the rest of the world that's uneducated on it. But, you know, you can imagine the pain that somebody like Eddie Graham had. And then, you know, Mike Graham and, and Mike's son. And, and when you think of that, you think that Nicole essentially had to carry that and, and to this day still does is, it's immeasurable. It's, it's more than you and I will probably ever know. And I cross my fingers. It's more than anybody that I care about will ever know because that's how painful it was. But as the, the short answer, and that was obviously the long answer to your question, Jeff, but the short answer was I thought it was a great episode in focusing and without being exploitive. And I think that sometimes can be a really hard balance. So for all of the shit that uh, Dark Side of the Ring has taken, and maybe a lot of it's deserved, uh, I felt that this episode it really was well done, and they showed the respect in such a very sensitive subject matter, uh, and they showed respect to everybody. So a couple questions. The people or, or the complaints that you read, I don't know if it was online or someone called you and, and complained, was it? about the the topic or was that they didn't go more into the history of CWF? What exactly were the complaints? I, I think it was, you know, to me, it's crazy too. I think the complaints were that it didn't cover CWF, that it focused on the Grams and it focused on the tragedy of the family. And, and it was, you know, it, and, and how easy is that to say? People were saying, did you enjoy the episode? No, I thought it was the worst one yet. They, they should have covered Dusty Rhodes more and stuff like that. And I don't think that was the purpose of the show. It wasn't a CWF episode, right? Let's be honest, it wasn't. It was about Mike and Eddie Graham and the Graham family, and obviously Dr. Jerry Graham and Billy Graham to some degree. 
But, you know, I don't think people – it's always easy to to make that – as you and I know, you and I talk about this shit all the time. It's so easy to make that criticism online when you've got these blinders on and these glasses on without looking at the big picture. And I don't hold – Or when you're posting anonymously (laughs) – you know. Well, I fucking hate that. I, yeah. to me, that's the absolute. If you're posting anonymously, there's an absolute reason why. And I, I absolutely can't stand that. But yeah, it, look, this wasn't about CWF. I would love an episode on CWF, but I don't think we'll ever get it at this stage. I think they, what they did with the Grams was what, what they did. And, uh, look, it was a complicated, very tough time. And, there's a lot more that's out there. There's a lot more that wasn't covered. I've heard a lot of Eddie Graham stories and, you know, and, and the ultimate, it, it, they're all sad. Ultimately, these stories really are just sad, sad fucking stories. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you, you put it uh, very clearly, uh, I thought, uh, and made a good point about how sometimes when you find out that your heroes weren't necessarily I won't say, uh, worth of your, uh, you know, they weren't worth your worship. I mean, you know, Eddie, like you said, using Eddie Graham as an example. Sure. As a promoter, the guy was an absolute friggin' genius. There, other than maybe, let's be fair, one to two guys in pro wrestling history. I don't know that there was a sharper guy in the history of business, uh, the business than Eddie. Uh, and you could certainly make the claim that he was the guy, but at the same time, I'll just put this into this sort of context. Vince McMahon is a complete wrestling genius for what he's been able to do for the last 40 years. I mean, I don't like Vince McMahon. I don't like a lot of the things he did. I'm going to say it. I think he's a real piece of shit as a human being. Absolutely. But as a wrestling promoter, if you don't see that for 40 years, this guy has made his company viable, his company you know, uh, the the amount that his company was worth when he sold it and what he got and yet still managed to keep his job overseeing the product. I mean, you have to give it up for the guy. And, you know, you can sit there and say Vince McMahon is not a good human being, uh, but is a great promoter, just the same way that you can say that Eddie Graham was a genius promoter, but may have not been the, you know, although he was obviously, by all accounts, a great grandfather to Nicole. But, you know, to your average marks that came in and said, hey, I'd like some help getting into the pro wrestling business. Yeah, maybe he wasn't such a great guy. You know, maybe to Mike's mom, uh, based on some things that you just sort of intimated, maybe he wasn't thought of as the world's greatest husband. Right. You know, there are a lot of people that are like that. One of the things, uh, and you can tell me if you feel comfortable talking about this or not, Barry, is when you hear stories like this, you know, when, uh, right after the episode aired, I called Barry and we were talking about it. And I said, you know, I'm sort of wondering, first of all, did they reach out to you, Barry Rose, to provide some historical context? And you said they did not. OK, uh, you know, whatever. But I said, you know, there are some guys that were around during the CWF years that <clears throat> may have been at the most recent CWF Legends Fan Fest. That are not on these episodes that I think definitely could have provided some historical context. And so I said, Barry, why weren't these individuals on this show as uh, opposed to uh, another person who seems to really be on a lot of these shows? And you told me that the reason that a couple guys were at the Fan Fest weren't there was because 
they didn't want to be associated with it. And yeah. I, so I was aware. And, and that was one thing people were saying, why wasn't, and I'll leave their names out, but somebody posted in, in my CWF group, why wasn't this person asked? And, uh, and I did not respond, but at the end of the day, I think it was the plane ride from hell episode that, cost Tommy Dreamer uh, a suspension. Uh, it, I think it got flare. You know, just there was so much shit and uh, they decided they didn't want to be a part of it. Now, obviously, some people were a part of it and, you know, that's fine. I, I don't feel again, I don't feel that anybody was truly exploited. So that's absolutely good. But that to answer that question. Yeah, look, there were a couple of guys at the Fan Fest that knew uh, the Grams as well as anybody did and opted not to be a part of it because they didn't know what to expect. I will say if you did not watch this episode yet, they show, you know, usually like whenever day, whatever day it comes out a couple hours beforehand, they'll repeat the prior episodes that have already been shown. And it's definitely uh, worth your time to check it out. It's a very interesting show that deals with a very uh, heartbreaking subject. Now, speaking of that, do you want to? I only do you want to I actually so I was disturbed when that episode ended. There was no time for bed. So I stayed up to one o'clock in the morning that night and I caught uh, a pre two previous episodes also. And I did catch. Yes. The, and I was going I was going to go into that. Uh, all Mr. right. Please steal my thunder. Yes. So uh, I will say that the the Magnum T.A. episode I thought was good. However, I will say if you went to the CWF Legends Fan Fest with Magnum, I don't really think there was anything that you didn't that you learned that was new. Would that be fair to say, Barry? Yes, absolutely. Okay, and that's not to poo-poo or shit on the episode. If you did not make that fan fest, you probably will learn a lot. And you know, it's, Magnum is uh, he's a straight up guy about uh, things that happened to him in his life, and uh, you know, uh, God bless him for uh, dealing with the injuries that he suffered in that horrible car accident. So let's talk about the other episode that Barry was referring to. And that is the episode about Chris Candido and uh, Tammy Sitch. Uh, wow. wow, this was <laughs> yeah, this was definitely a one kick-ass episode to uh, start this new season. So first of all, absolutely heartbreaking for Chris Candido. You know, uh, it, for a, a guy that is there <clears throat> is there anybody that loved the business as much as Chris Candido? Uh, I mean, he was living his dream literally. Uh, you know, he was a guy that was. First of all, was always going to be, quote unquote, a little bit small for the business. You know, he was a shorter guy. He kind of had to build himself up probably way bigger than uh, he should have been physically, uh, you know, but his love for the business, he probably put up with a lot of shit from a lot of people because he loved the pro wrestling business and listening to his mom and his brother talk about Chris, you know, and how bad he wanted to be part of the wrestling business was truly, uh, you know, like heartbreaking uh, with no spoiler alerts uh, here. But when they get to the end of the episode and they talk about Chris's death over a stupid blood clot, I mean, just God, what a, what a friggin' brutal way for someone to have to lose their life. But, to see guys like, uh, you know, um, Dr. Tom Pritchard, uh, Jim Cornette and Lance Storm literally break down in tears talking about this guy that they worked with. Uh, and uh, in Jim's case, the, the guy that he employed and that you see these big, tough pro wrestlers who really aren't, you know, uh, prone to showing emotion. Just, you know, get to the point where they please stop rolling the film because I can't talk about this. You know, and think about how long it's been since we lost Chris. This is not something that happened a couple of weeks ago. 
you know, this is, there, there's been some years that have gone by now. And I thought it was very impactful seeing those guys have such a difficulty, not talking about Chris's career or Chris's life, but talking about the way that, you know, poor Chris was like cheated by, by death here, uh, over a stupid fucking blood clot. And then Barry, uh, we got to Tammy and, you know, first of all, let's be honest, uh, Tammy, uh, here's a phrase I learned in high school, Barry has been hoist by her own petard. Okay. She, uh, she is a victim, but she's a victim of her own actions, her own stupidity. Uh, you know, the fact that, uh, she has been cited, good Lord, how many times for just driving on a suspended license, much less driving under the influence, uh, resulting in the death of someone, you know, she absolutely deserves to be in jail. Uh, I have no sympathy for Tammy along those lines, but now that I've kind of gone on a little rant there, Barry, tell the folks what you thought about the Chris Candido episode. I, I was really disturbed by it. And, uh, this was, so this was a, I, I got it. My Tuesday nights have to change at 10 o'clock at night. Cause if I'm going to go to bed, I, I can't start watching this shit. And then I'm up till like two 30 in the morning going, I just can't sleep. So my big takeaways from this episode were how Chris was painted in such a light of such a wonderful guy, a wonderful kid. All he did was love the wrestling business and he was blindly in love with Tammy Sitch and mistakes were made. Drugs became the issue. And she basically, for lack of a better word, she basically cuckolded him. And it's, uh, whether he, cause there, it was conflicting. He knew he didn't know. There was a lot of talk that I believe it was Chris's brother saying he didn't know that all this was taking place. Dr. Tom Pritchard saying Chris knew. So there was contradiction within the episode. Regardless of it, the pain this guy must have been through was just immeasurable. There was footage shown of him in Puerto Rico. Did you catch that? I, I did. It was briefly. He looked to be uh, about 50 pounds heavier and horrifically out of shape. I'm assuming this was the period where he was on drugs. But the real big takeaways for me with this were uh, how horrible of a person Tammy Sitch was. And I don't I, – you know, I – I don't think this was the drugs that that caused that because it looks like a lot of this behavior had started in the WWF before her drug problem got really bad, which obviously it did get really bad. But the fact that she was sleeping around and basically, you know, she didn't give a shit. Poor Chris. And I, I just thought, what a horrible person. And, you know, when you look at the multiple DUIs and obviously the last DUI resulting in a death uh, of an older, older individual. I believe she's still incarcerated right around the Daytona or Melbourne area. Uh, I was talking to somebody last week and they basically brought it up and said she's right down the road incarcerated and deservedly so. The other aspect, and this was the thing that I think really bothered me was everybody gives Paul Heyman a free pass. You know, he's considered maybe, if not one of the greatest managers of all time, he certainly is one of the great promo guys of all time. And there's this all Paul Heyman is such a great fucking guy for wrestling. He's wonderful. Paul Heyman is a real fucking piece of shit. And you can wrap this up with a bow. You can put fucking uh, wrapping paper on it. You can, you know, serve it up with a big birthday cake. 
He is a piece of fucking shit. And this episode showed you several things. One was the exploitation of of Sonny, of Tammy, while she's on drugs. Paul had no problem exploiting that, making that, in, in his mind, some sort of compelling television. As I'm watching it, I had forgotten completely all about that. And it was, to me, it was horrific. The outcry the day after that episode aired about Paul doing that, Listen, Jeff, do you hear the outcry? I think it's crickets, Bear. There, that's exactly what it was. The free pass has been given. Somehow that was okay. It was okay for Paul to exploit it. How about all the fucking money dealings that he had with Chris and he fucked Chris out of money and, and, and you know, you're giving Chris money, but he's a drug addict. It just, all of it was just horrific. And I know Paul fucked a lot of people over when it comes to ECW. And you know what? He did. But to put Tammy on television in the state that she was in to draw ratings, I got to tell you, might be one of the more bottom feeder behaviors I have ever seen in pro wrestling. And let's go back and let's really take a look at, at some bottom feeding behavior that's occurred out there. That really says a lot. The fact that no one on social media after that episode aired had the balls or the temerity to call Paul Heyman out and say, how the fuck could you do that? And then Paul, what about Paul? Could Paul have come out and Paul Heyman could have said, Boy, I, I, that was, that was a really fucked up thing I did. I am so sorry. Paul came, who has kids, right? I mean, he's got kids. I don't know how many or how old they are, but imagine if somebody took your child and put them on TV and that type of behavior for fucking ratings. And you know how much Tammy was making in those days. It wasn't like she was even making any money. To me, that was exploitation at its absolute worst. I, if there was any respect for Paul Heyman that I had, and I don't think I had much, completely out the window. And let me go on record. He's a real fucking piece of shit. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's interesting to me. You know, we were just talking about how Eddie Graham, uh, is a man that you and I, you know, we said a promotional genius, but uh, we very politely said that he had flaws as a human being. Okay. That's a very polite and nice way of saying it. Paul Heyman, while to those of you who are, uh, EC, I'm going to call you ECW maniacs. Okay. Uh, the people that still are waiting for ECW to come back and, uh, you know, be a, a viable option uh, in the pro wrestling world. Uh, spoiler alert. That's not going to happen, but. Somehow, you're right, Paul Heyman gets a pass for a yeah. lot of that because people look at that, well, let's be honest, that, was it, five-year window, maybe a couple, a year or two more, I'm not exactly positive on that window, but he was sort of the darling of the hardcores, okay? But somehow, he gets a pass, okay, for not only, and you're absolutely right, Barry, if Tammy was the only person he exploited, maybe you could sit there and say, well, yeah, he was kind of a real asshole to Tammy the way he treated her, but he did so much else that was good. But there have been reports that Paul, as you said, may have owed a person or two uh, a dollar. Let's put it that way. Uh, and he didn't have any problems uh, doing that. And it's really funny because I know uh, I'm not going to say the person's name. I know a guy that used to be an independent promoter in South Florida who famously 
booked a lot of his shows on a credit card. You know who I'm talking <laughs> about, by the way? I do. Okay. And so famously, after this was discovered, uh, and it happened to be somebody else's credit card, uh, but everyone was like, oh, this guy, what a piece of shit this guy was for doing this. But while they were taking the money that the guy had put on somebody else, they were, oh, he's doing, he's, he's getting his <laughs> bookings and all yep. this kind of stuff. And he was a great guy. And then when he was, you know, you found out what he was doing, it was like, what a horrible person. And, you know, Eddie Graham, uh, when you look back now, you can sit there and say, oh, Eddie Graham, what he had his guys do in the snake pit. What a piece of shit he was for doing that. But, you know, he made Dusty Rhodes and Jack Briscoe and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah, we'll overlook the stuff that happened in the snake pit. And, you know, and, and I'm going to put a Bill Watts. Bill Watts is a great promoter. But, you know, I didn't like his viewpoints, Uh, you know, how he would always put certain viewpoints out there. I didn't like that very much. So he's a real piece of shit, even though I like Mid-South and, you do, you know, that's that's good. But somehow, Paul Heyman, he kind of gets a pass. He kind of gets a pass from all those old ECW maniacs who are still waiting for Paul to come back and show up at, uh, what is it, the 2300? Is that the name of the 2300 Arena, yes. Yeah, 2300 Arena. For Paul one day, for the lights to go out, and they come back up, and Paul's in the middle of the ring, and all those guys are going, ECW, ECW. Well, you know what? Uh, That ship has sailed. I hate to break it to you. So I agree. When is Paul Heyman going to be called you know, to account for what he did as a promoter. Barry's right. He's a hell of a fucking manager. Cuts a great fucking promo. But it's funny, and I probably shouldn't say this, but I will anyway. I was scrolling through my YouTube the other day, and I'm going to say this while also saying that I understand this is completely apples to oranges, okay? But, you know, there was a video someone shot of Paul Heyman. Uh, I don't know if he was doing some sort of uh, event where he was speaking. And I guess somebody yelled out the name Chris Benoit. And Paul, rightfully so, sort of said, look, three people died in that house that night and called the person that was a fan of Chris Benoit to task for basically being a fan of Chris Benoit. And you and I have talked about Chris Benoit. And you said you can't watch Chris Benoit matches because you can't separate what happened. Okay. While appreciating that Chris Benoit was a fucking unbelievable talent, but he also fucking murdered his wife and child. Okay. But it's interesting that someone that takes the high moral ground there, and I will say correct, uh, correctly so, but yet, you know what? When's he going to take the high moral ground and sit there and say, you know what? I had a lot of fun doing ECW. Uh, I, I think I put out a lot of really exciting, great content. That's the truth. But you know what? I kind of also took advantage of some people. I took advantage of some people. I took advantage of some people's finances. I didn't pay people what I promised them. I put somebody out on camera that shouldn't have been on camera. And by the way, (laughs) let's be polite. There were people that he put on camera before that were also into the influence. I'm not going to mention any names, but Barry, I think you know who I'm talking about. That probably should not have been on camera that Paul pushed on camera. And Paul has never been called onto the carpet to explain or it's not like he did some sort of, uh, you know, uh, now, hey, listen, uh, you know, and you know, does he owe, uh, uh, breaking cafe with Bowden and Barry, you know, an explanation? Fuck no. Who are we? We're two assholes of the podcast, but he owes the wrestling fans and he owes those ECW maniacs an explanation for why he did that with not just Tammy, but with other people. And, you know, as great a manager 
as Paul Heyman was and is, and is a greater promoter he might be to the ECW Maniacs, someone has to call Paul Heyman out for the things that he's done that he's never explained himself away for. What do you think, Bear? Yeah, he does. And again, I'll go back to he has kids, and at some point – and I don't know if he has a daughter, but at some point, you know, if his daughter let's and let's pull an age, she's 15, she's searching around the Internet. And at some point she's going to realize what her dad was a part of and, and what her dad did. And, and whether it was Tammy, or, you know, you can Google stories. There's there's some Missy Hyatt uh, stories out there, allegedly, uh, you know, about doing things in the locker room at Paul's insistence. There's just a lot, and it sounds like these- or or, or <laughs> come on, I want to lay Well, we've got a delay in the show, so go up and start stripping for the for the audience, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But there's and there's a lot worse, and I, I, you know the fact too that guys were getting high in the locker room, and you know a lot of these guys died at a young age too. But guys getting high in the locker room does. I don't believe you're talking uh, uh, about cannabis either, Barry. Are you? Oh no, I'm not. Not, but even that. Look, I don't even know if I'm even a fan of that. And as much as I enjoy cannabis, I I think if you're going to be in a professional wrestling ring, that's my opinion. You probably should be sober because you are essentially taking somebody's life into your own hands. So I think from a safety security standpoint, I think sobriety is a great thing. Getting in the ring, I just the whole thing was a clusterfuck, and it, you know. The fact that he's on top of the world in a sense, you know, he, he's got a great job with the WWE. And let's be honest, he is a great promo guy, right? I won't Absolutely. deny that. He's Absolutely. fantastic. Uh, he has made this bloodline storyline. He's an integral part of it. But at some point, he's got to be held responsible for a lot of the shit that took place there. And it almost, again, I'll go back to my opening statement. He's gotten a free pass for the last 20 or 25 years. It's almost literally no difference at, at, at this standpoint. It's, I just, I, as I was watching Tammy and then he's doing this interview with her and my God, she looked terrific. She's crying. I, I just, how do you put this on tell? How do you fucking sleep at night and put this on television? So, I, I, just, it, was, it was, it sort of reminded me now that, now that you just said that, uh, you remember when Vince put Brian Pillman's widow? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, on, on TV and, you know, it, it's like, come on. Yeah. What are we doing here? You know, let's try to be human beings at some point too. And, uh, anyway, uh, let's move on to, uh, some AEW thoughts, uh, and get back to, uh, more positive, well, or negative if you hate AEW. Let's just say that. So. I was watching, uh, the time this, uh, show drops, it would have been this past Wednesday, uh, the Dynamite show. And they had, uh, not only Dynamite Rampage, but we had the debut of their new collision show. And I'll get to that. I haven't finished watching that yet, but, uh, Barry's watched it. I have seen about the first half hour of it. We'll talk about that. So I want to ask you, uh, before we kind of get to, oh, well, I tell you what, let's start at the beginning. What did you think of the MJF Adam Cole time limit draw? Uh, I thought it was a great match. I, uh, it, again, Adam, Adam Cole does take some shit from people online for various reasons, but I, I thought it was a great match. I thought they actually worked well together. And w- what AEW is, is doing, and they did this on collision. I think I had mentioned this to you without giving anything away. They're giving guys time which I really like. And that opening match, I want to say, was 30 minutes, right? It was a time limit draw, so it went 30 minutes. And the main event on Collision, 30 minutes. I love that. So 
I thought it was a really good match. I, I guess what I wanted to ask you, I, I really enjoyed the match too. Uh, I, and I like the way, and this is very high praise for me. I like the way that it almost had an all Japan esque. I'm not saying it was an all Japan match, but it had an all Japan esque build to the match because you had Mac, uh, Max uh, jumping out of the ring and doing a little uh, stalling when he came back in and the match <clears throat> very properly built to a finish. And I really enjoyed that. So were you a fan? Yes or no of the whole one, two, ding, 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 time limit draw. Uh, I, I, I think at the time I wasn't, but I, this, this was the opening, uh, match between these two. This is going to go on for a little bit, I think. So initially I wasn't, I think bigger picture, it's fine. Yes. Uh, I agree. I think it, it, uh, it adds length to the program. Definitely. Uh, and you know, if they stretch it to where, you know, next match is, uh, say 45 minutes, you know, right. and, and you can build something like that. And, you know, I, I think Adam Cole does a great promo. He, uh, is very good in the ring. He does have his, uh, you know, detractors, uh, regarding his, uh, his physique. You know, it, I, I am not one of these guys that thinks every single wrestler should look like MJF or, or, or something, something like that. If anything, I've been the exact opposite. I like having guys, with different body types. I like having a fat guy in the promotion. Okay. Uh, you know, one of the things I like about Eddie Kingston, there's no other wrestler that has a body like that, that gets over, you know, I mean, can you imagine when, if that guy ever went to work with Vince, I don't even know that he'd get TV time just based and not having anything to do with his ability or his, his, uh, his promos, just Vince would look at his physique and go, Nope, not putting that guy on TV. Uh, but next question is, can you believe uh, and I've seen this, uh, pointed out in many different places that this was the first time Sting and Chris Jericho had ever been in a ring together. That's kind of amazing to think, huh? That was it. That was kind of surprising. I, with WCW, they both were there for so long. They never once ever put them. Yeah. I was surprised by that. So the very end of the, the show, the, the big schmas at the end where you have all the guys running into the ring. And of course, Will Ospreay was the big uh, last minute uh, surprise where he came in and nailed Omega to set those guys up for the uh, the show that's coming up this coming weekend, which, by the way, son of a bitch, Barry, I fucking I tried everything I could do to get this fucking pay-per-view this weekend. And I, I you know, it said uh, AEW uh, Forbidden Door and it sent me to the fight. Uh, was it Fight TV app? Uh-huh. And, and so I tried to see if I could access it through Fight TV. Fight TV saying that AEW will not allow them to uh, to show the pay-per-view in this country. So guess who's fucked as far as watching the pay-per-view? So we, we can't get it in this country, though? That doesn't not on No, not on Fight TV. I where, mean, where is it available? Uh, well, I'm, I'm guessing if you have the ability to get a pay-per-view, of course you can get it. Because I only stream. I don't have DirecTV or, you know, Xfinity or any of those other services that have pay-per-views available as part of their service. I only stream my television because of where I live in the country, so I can't get pay-per-view, which uh, kind of sucks. Because even if I wanted to get a WWE pay-per-view, I can't, you know. So um, anyway, what was I saying? Um, no, so they do the big schmods at the end. Uh, here's here's where I was leading on this question. So they have Osprey hit uh, Omega. Well, right before that, when Omega ran down to the ring, and there in the ring was the newly turned – Takeshka, who now, by the way, uh, El Hio del Don Callis, which is fucking <laughs> I hilarious, it. I have to say. But 
Our executive producer, Brian Last, I saw that he had said, I believe it was on Twitter, that in his opinion, they should not have had anyone at this point, because it's very early in his turn, have even touched Takeshka. That, you know, I guess he's saying that Takeshka either should have uh, rolled out of the ring or someone would, should have blocked Omega from getting to Takeshka. So they completely hold off on that until they do their big match. What do you think of that point? Fair or not? Uh, I don't know. Apples, oranges. I don't know. I, yeah. could, I could see his point, but I don't know if I agree with it necessarily. Okay. So now let's get to, uh, let's get to the new AEW collision show. Oh. Okay. First of all, let me say, and I realize this is the first episode. And so everything was kind of new. Boy, Barry, I really like the opening of that show. Little Elton John, Saturday night's all right for fighting. What'd you think? So the, you know, the, when I, when I heard that song and that song came up, the first thought through my head was, ladies and gentlemen, AEW is not going to go anywhere. We know really? that. Yeah. Well, let me, let me tell okay. you, Tony Khan and Tony Khan's father, they're billionaires. I, father, son, I don't know exactly who's got all the money, but it's there. Do you have any idea what they must have paid for? The oh, price? yes. For El- <laughs> that was the first thing. Vince would have created his own song. However, they got they didn't just get a fucking song. They went to the Elton John catalog to get a song. That right there is proof to me. AEW is in for the long haul. They will spend the money, and uh, and that's exactly what they're doing. So I thought the opening, I thought it was fucking unbelievable. Yeah, really good stuff. Uh, I, I'm talking strictly from the graphics and, uh, you know, the way they played into it and really, really good stuff. So then CM Punk uh, comes out and he does his, uh, his fucking spiel and, uh, about he's, uh, you know, I don't know, but whatever. Like I said, I, I've said it before. I missed the whole CM Punk thing in ROH and CM Punk in the WWE because I wasn't watching wrestling when all that happened and stuff like that. So let me ask you, Barry. Sure. Because, uh, CM Punk was out there and he, uh, he made the thing about, uh, made some comment about the Bucks and counterfeit uh, Bucks, counterfeit Bucks. And was it, uh, uh, $1 fill or something like that? Uh, yeah. And what's in the bag, Max? He did all these, uh, catchphrases that I'm sure are going to catch on. So my question to you, and I'm asking you this as someone who maybe does not have the appreciation for CM Punk that people that have been watching him for 20 years have. Okay. Is CM Punk worth the aggravation? That will all come down to does CM Punk move enough merchandise or sell enough tickets to be worth the aggravation? That's what it comes down to. I don't don't know. Yeah. I don't know if that's actually if that if he is. I don't know. So I guess my question then becomes, is CM Punk worth the aggravation around the country other than Chicago? Because apparently in Chicago, he's definitely worth the aggravation. Because, you know, you can see that that he is over huge in Chicago. But when CM Punk goes to Miami or out to the West Coast or up to New York City or, you know, all points in between other than Chicago, will he be worth it? What say you? That's a coin flip on that one. I, you know, I want to think the best. I want to think that, uh, 
you know, maybe it's because I believed in CM Punk when he left the Federation. He was mad about about being tossed over in the Royal Rumble, that it was meaningless. It didn't mean anything. And I he wasn't having fun, I guess. And he's like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm out of here. And I was kind of but controversy does seem to follow him around. You do have to be careful, obviously. And again, I, I don't think I think everybody was guilty. Punk obviously was very guilty, but apparently he's apologized. Uh, he said he was wrong uh, with the media scrum. So I can certainly take that at face value. I, I think if they promote him correctly, and I will tell you, because young Zachary yesterday being Father's Day, young Zachary and I talked for about two hours yesterday and uh we were both talking about CM. You know, I think his future is he should be a heel. And I think that I think less wrestling is probably the smartest thing they could do for CM Punk. I wouldn't go with best in the world. I wouldn't put him in the main title picture, make him the champion because he's clearly not at the level that. And that's not a knock on CM Punk. But I mean, there's guys. Oh, the guy's yeah. like, what, 45 exactly. years old? That's what I'm saying. I, I don't want this to be misconstrued as I'm, I'm taking a, a shot at him. He's not. I, I At some point, CM Punk was really great. He's just an older guy now. And I think that there's younger guys that can overshadow him. To me, his future is going to be a heel or a tweener. And it gives CM Punk the microphone. That's really his strong point at this. Is he worth it? I, I would, I, since they've made up, I would see how this all plays out though. I, you know, I, I don't know if there's any more chances after this, but I would see how this all, this all plays out. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, I, what you just said about CM Punk, completely, absolutely true about Chris Jericho as well. You know, at some point I, and I've said before, I like the character of, you know, uh, uh, the, uh, why am I drawing a complete blank on his, uh, his faction now? Um, the Jericho, yeah, the Jericho Appreciation Society. I like that shtick. You know, I like the, the goofiness of the guys around him and stuff like that. I like the, uh, the promo that he and Sammy did against one another in the ring with Darby Allen. That was good, entertaining stuff. But somebody, somebody pointed out that, uh, you know, when the bell rings, I think it was Sammy. You know, you're great until that bell rings and now you don't have it anymore. And yeah, that got a little deep on the bone there because there's a lot of truth to that. And, but I think that Chris Jericho and CM Punk have a lot of value to the company for what they can, you know, holding a microphone, cutting promos on people, sitting at the desk next to the, you know, the announce team. By the way, our old friend Kevin Kelly on the Saturday night uh, show. That, yeah, that was awesome to see him and uh, Nigel McGinnis. That was cool stuff. But, um, so I think there's definitely value to those guys. Uh, I just don't know. I, I think at this point, MJF value in the ring is almost really just gone completely off the cliff. So how much longer do you think CM Punk's value in the ring will continue to be? I, well, so this was my observation. I think I've seen every match he's had since he's come back to AEW. I think the issue, so I think there's a, a couple of issues. Two issues, uh, he's injury prone at this stage as well. And I think they've got to be, and again, that could be 47. And that's part of being an older athlete. Let's there be honest. There you go. Absolutely. Hello, so, LeBron. 
he talked, <laughs> he talked about, I think, ripping the tendon off the bone. And that would be the second major injury he's had since he joined AEW. And I think we're looking at what a dozen matches, right? So we're not looking at a guy working the old WWE road, road schedule of like working six, 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 seven times per week. We're looking at a guy that may have had a dozen matches over the course of a year, a year and a half. So that to me is problematic. Uh, I thought. I thought he was the heaviest I've ever seen him. If you, you know, you haven't seen him, but he, he's got a paunch in the middle. There was a period where he sat on the top rope and literally looked like, uh, you know, he looked like an old man. He was sitting there and he was just saggy and it was all in the belly. So he's about 20 to 30 pounds heavier, I think, than he ever had been. But he was actually decent in the match and he looked as good if not better than a lot of his other AEW matches where I was very critical, where he blew up. I do think the key with that is keeping him in tag matches because part of it is CM Punk in a lot of those singles matches, he blew up big time. Like, you know, you could see he was fucking sucking wind like no one's business. He looked really good here. He had one little botch, but nothing I would say that was uh, terrible. And he worked with Jay White extremely well to the point that I would have to assume he and Jay White spent a lot of time in the ring working on what they were going to do. Because that their, their back and forth and their chain wrestling was kind of flawless in a lot of ways. So I like him. I think the key there, he's got to stick in tag matches or he's, these have got to be short two or three minute matches. But I, I think his future is going to be possibly leading. It should be. I'm not saying it will be, but should be maybe leading a heel faction and, and not a heel faction of like Sean Spears. And, you know, God knows he's been in every fucking faction known to man and they, he still can't find a role for himself, but you, you need to give him some heavy hitters guys that can get it done and and i i would i would think they could actually do something with him so last aew related question last cm punk related question as you watched his promo okay was cm punk playing to the smart marks in the i hate using that term but um yes, for the purpose of, of this yeah that, that that's exactly what my take from this Hell was yeah. he is sort of trying to appeal to the guys in the audience, the Chicago crowd that sort of think they know the wrestling business, you know, and he was throwing the, the little terms out, you know, all that kind of stuff. It was definitely a case of trying to play to his audience. And I mean, you know, honestly, it's, it's smart of him to do that, sure. but it's not something that's going to play everywhere as much as it does in Chicago. What do you think? It, it's not. And I mean, that, that shit with MJF last year where punk was in uh, Long Island, and it was a role reversal where Punk was the heel and MJF was the baby face. I love that. And that's something that WWE never does or never did. I think that's great. You know, Punk should be who he is. And if they get to Long Island and Max is the baby face in Long Island. Hell, Jack, Jack Briscoe was the heel in Texas. when Exactly. He right. Exactly. Home, I know? think that's great. I love yeah. that kind of stuff. So, all right. Now, Barry, what say you? It's time to discuss our match of the week. Our match of the week, as I said, March 4th, 19, 1978, Barry. Good wow. 45 freaking years. That's 14 years old. <laughs> yeah, well, and full head, <coughs> full head of hair, as we've said. We are going to Kevin Orcutt's favorite territory. Yay, it is Portland, Oregon. As Buddy Rose, the playboy, takes on Jimmy Superfly Snooker. Tell the folks what you thought. 
I mean, this is a great match. So, Buddy Rose at this stage, too, this is before the weight gain. He a lean, lean Buddy Rose, as I wrote on my notes. And can work like no one's business. He's great. Jimmy, this is before Jimmy Snuka went completely off the rails. We're still a few years away. And my God, what a revelation Jimmy Snuka was too, right? I mean, this guy was absolutely incredible, could do it all, physically looked incredible, the makings of a great match are here. And the truth is, this is a really good match. And Buddy Rose, you got to give him, I guess, the majority of the credit with this. He was able to lead Snuka through a really good match but what an intelligent guy buddy rose was like you can see it you know and i don't know what year he started i'm going to say early 70s i think 76 77 paul paul pershman correct Um, yeah he was working texas in the mid 70s so i i want to say he started early the mid 70s in the awa i believe was a ref first but here was a guy that appeared to have it I mean, the the intelligence quotient, the IQ, the wrestling IQ that Buddy Rose had was great. The pairing with Wiskowski, Easy Ed Wiskowski, also fantastic. And I think the big surprise for me at the very end of this match was I never knew Jesse the Body Ventura was a babyface. Exactly. That was one of the things I definitely noticed at the end of the How match. How the fuck did I? Yeah, because I was watching wrestling at this time. I was getting newsletters. I How did that somehow escape me? But Jesse came in. He looked good. He's a babyface here standing with Snuka. This this is a great match. The, you know, Portland, that's the beauty of it, too. And thanks to Kevin Orcutt and Kevin sending you all these matches because Portland is a really criminally underrated territory you're not going to find some horrible matches like these matches are good and even with guys that may not be at the level of like a buddy rose or a jimmy snooker or a dynamite kid or any of those guys through really smart booking they make everybody look really really good so i i usually say i i think bill watts in this country bill watts was a booking genius And I always said that because I felt that Bill Watts could take guys. Gorgeous Gary Young was a great example. And look, I know that was towards the end of of the UWF Mid-South days, but he made Gary Young, and this is not a knock on Gary Young, but he made him watchable. A guy that essentially was more of a prelim wrestler, a journeyman, and all of a sudden puts him in this rookie of the year program with, uh, you know, who was it? Uh, Steve. Steve Cox. Steve Cox. Have you, by the way, have you, have you Googled Steve Cox? I'm assuming you're, you you're the, you're the one that loves Cox. Well, let's talk about that, Barry. Uh, we've all established that. Uh, this is another Cox that you love. Well, I don't necessarily love Steve Cox. I'm going to Google him. So not as much as you love Killer Carl Cox, obviously. Well, that's for sure. Steve Cox is a, he was a wrestler. Okay. Hold on one sec. Here it is. Okay. So apparently he's completely insane. Apparently he's also got like a dozen children from like a dozen different women, but he's the Sean Kemp of pro wrestling. That's exactly what he is. But uh, earlier this year, he was charged with two counts of assault with a dangerous weapon in Tulsa. He's 60, but he was arrested for leering at kids in a park. Uh, yeah, he was confronted by a woman about it and told a child, I'll see you later before he walked away. The woman followed him and then he pulled out a knife threatening her. That was the first charge. And I don't want to. But he then went off on two guys walking their dogs. 
and he also had a knife. I, I believe he's got severe mental issues at this stage, but Steve Cox was another one. Steve Cox, you know, he wasn't compelling to watch. There wasn't much there, and uh, yet he made this whole angle kind of interesting. Don Owen literally ran this really small territory, but he did it in such a way that every fucking match I've seen, I just think is really good. A lot of props to Don Owen. You know, to your point, it's not like you see a Portland uh, match, that's, whether it's Kevin or there's something you find in YouTube, and you watch it and you sit there and you go, ah, you know, it really wasn't that good. You know, I mean, maybe later part of the 80s, uh, early 90s, when they had guys that didn't have as much experience and hadn't been trained properly. You know, if their match shows up, I'm sure maybe there's a couple of stinkeroos. But, you know, the guys that were put in the main events, they were in the main events for a reason because they were all really good. And let's be honest, Don Owen also took some guys. I'm not going to mention any names, but he took some guys that really were never a big deal anywhere else, put them in main event programs. And it worked, you know, right. and that, that he could do that with guys that other promotions did not see as much of a value in. That's another nice way of putting it, that he could make money off of and could turn into stars. That's part of what Don Owen did. It's part of why, you know, there should be a, a Don Owen type of territory out there now where guys can go and learn and, and you know, get the uh, in-ring time so that by the time they get to the quote-unquote big time, uh, you know, they, they will have earned it and they will have the ability to do stuff, uh, you know, so that they don't go out there and embarrass themselves at the very least. So a um, couple things to start off with uh, as far as my thoughts on the match. Don Owen's suit just is a sight <laughs> to behold. That checkered suit just oh, screamed late 70s. Uh, it was beautiful. Uh, as we mentioned, this was a leaner uh, Buddy Rose. He did not. He had a very slight little uh, Dunlap syndrome going on Jeff, there. I, I got to interrupt you for one second. So I'm not making this up. I looked at the Steve Cox story and it's on Facebook from January 23rd. And there's Jeffrey Wayne Bowden tagging me in the story. <laughs> or Bowdren, thank you. Or uh, Bowden, what did I say? Did I say Bowden? Yeah, you exactly. said Bowden. That's a, that's my cousin, you know, obviously. You actually tagged me in the story. I, I replied with the wow face, but it is there. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So uh, the other thing, uh, let's let's talk about Buddy Rose, okay? And you know, a lot of people make fun of Buddy because he, uh, very kindly uh, putting it, he put on a lot of weight uh, after it. He had his run in New York that really did not work out as well as as we wish it would have. But Buddy Rose, as an all time most underrated guy, what do you think? You think that he's definitely in that conversation? Hundred percent. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't disagree at all. I because every time I see whether, it's, but you know, we're we're doing the promo tournament in the group, and uh, I can tell you that although his name hasn't been picked uh, randomly from the uh, the bag of oh, uh, nominees yet, it will come up at some time. And I don't know who he's going to. I mean, knowing Buddy's luck, he'll be against Ric Flair or something like that and get completely crushed. But Buddy Rose, if you get a chance, Google Buddy Rose promos. This guy was a heat magnet. People in Portland hated him. And when he finally did his babyface turn, I want to say it was around 1983. Wow, it was it was really really well done. He was good stuff. Uh, let's see, uh, a very 70s crowd, I think would be a polite way of saying it. Uh, a lot of people, older crowd, uh, wearing suits and stuff like that. I thought that was funny. So Barry, one of the other things, I, I don't know if this was Frank Bonima that was doing the call of the match or somebody else, but I love some of the expect like uh, somebody does a, an atomic drop. 
and uh, the announcer calls it a sit-out backbreaker. Now, apparently they had their own word. Or when uh, Jimmy Snuka put Buddy in a full Nelson, it wasn't a full Nelson. It was a Fiji Island full Nelson. Right. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, the, I, you know, I like that they did the uh, the time calls. Ten minutes left. Ten minutes left. Five minutes left. And so it sort of gave you an idea of what they were going to. I really wish they had done that. You know, we, we talked about the uh, the MJF match with Adam Cole. And the fact someone pointed out they didn't do any time calls. And if you're you're going to tease that uh, draw, I think it's really important for the announcer to do the time calls. And that's something I think they missed the uh, the boat on on the AEW show. So, uh, and, you know, I wrote down that at the end of the match, spoiler alert, 45 years later, is Snooka, uh, Snooka goes to the pen. And as he hits the one, maybe two count, then the bell rings. And, you know, I was like, well, where have I seen this recently? You know, and then, as you said, Buddy and Ed Wiskowski come down to the ring. Snook is in there by himself. And lo and behold, Jesse, the body Ventura, does the run in. Barry, I can't imagine what the next main event is going to be. Can you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, they set it up perfectly, right? So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Barry, always a good time to be joined by our friend Sean Davis. Uh, you know, uh, we were in uh, in Lutz recently, Barry, and one of the real – uh, unfortunate things that happened while we were there that we did discuss recently on the show was that uh, our friend Sean Davis, right before the Friday night show, I think the day of the show, received the unfortunate news that his mother had passed away. And uh, we are very uh, honored and fortunate to be joined by our friend Sean today. Uh, Sean, how are you doing today, my brother? I'm doing good, man. Thanks. Uh, I understand you guys mentioned my mom on the previous episode i really appreciate that definitely probably the hardest thing i've ever gone through in my life my mom and i were uh r- ridiculously close i was the only child um the uh her and my dad uh weren't supposed to have kids i came along 18 years after they got married so i was a big surprise and uh, uh slipped one past that- the goalie huh Okay. Yeah, I had to i had to make that big wrestlemania entrance you know yeah. uh taking my <laughs> time go taking my time coming down to the ring and uh but yeah no we were we were super super close and my mom uh she was a funny lady she was a little lady but with a huge personality um she really wasn't wasn't exactly a wrestling fan but was a big fan of mine so she came to a lot of my matches until i had to basically ban her from coming to my matches because at one point, she actually grabbed a chair and tried coming into the ring for a run-in. And that's 100%. <laughs> that is 100% shoot. That is hilarious. Her, well, her God baby her. boy was getting his butt kicked, and she had had enough, and that was it. She grabbed the chair. And I remember after the match, the promoter coming up to me going, Sean, you got to bring your parents to the show. You need to smarten them up, boy. I got to smarten up parents. <laughs> So, well, listen, uh, besides talking to Sean about, uh, the unfortunate passing of his mom and what a great event that was put on, uh, uh, featuring a run in, speaking of run ins by our old friend Barry Rose. Uh, what? Yes, indeed. Uh, Barry, that however, was not Sean, approved. that was not a, you know, anyway. Barry I, Sean, I told him himself. I wanted him to, I wanted him to go through the flaming table, but he did not want to do that. <laughs> so, uh, but Barry, the reason Sean's joining us today is uh, Sean has a very special show coming up on the 22nd of July, uh, and we wanted to talk to Sean about that. So, Barry, why don't you give the folks the specs uh, in the Tampa area if you're available to re- attend the show for a very worthy cause? 
Yeah, this, and this is amazing because, you know, there are so many wrestling shows that are taking place out there. And, and we know that, you know, look, Sean is one of the good guys. You can get, you can go to his show on a weekly basis. And when I say his show, it's the World Wrestling Network Proving Ground every Friday night in Newport Ritchie. Tickets are only 10 bucks. And I got to tell you, Jeff, we get in there. We spend 10 bucks to go to this show and we're there for over two hours. And it might be the most fun we have at any wrestling show over the last few years you can pay hundreds of dollars and go see quote-unquote big stars from about a mile up or you can sit five or ten feet away from the ring and have the time of your life for 10 bucks we are a huge fan but as you mentioned sean has got this great show absolutely coming up saturday july 22nd at the wendell uh is that wendell what's it wendell wendell crin yeah crin Technical yeah. high school. Jeff, you asked, who is Wendell Crin? Who was Wendell Crin? He he beat um he was a top challenger to Frank Gotch early in the, <laughs> the turn of the end of the century. Uh, and yet he did not you know, make our top two oh one list, Barry. No, That's crazy. Hard to believe, yes. <laughs> Very good. But it's <laughs> Great. Wendell Crin Technical High School in Newport Ritchie. It's uh seventy six fifty Orchid Lane Road. There will be Orchid eight Lake years. Road, Barry. Orchid Lake Road. Orchid I you know what it is? It's the font. I it, the font in my well, bag. And eyesight. the fact that you're getting fucking old, let's be honest. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's that plus yes. Uh eight huge matches. Kids twelve and under are free. The doors open at five o'clock. Bell time is six o'clock. Proceeds are going to benefit the Tunnel to Towers Foundation, which really is a great card. I have one question to ask you before I turn this over to you, Sean. I am looking yeah. at the flyer. Is that Eva Lise on the flyer as well? It is. Yes, she's going to be there. Uh huh. Gotcha. Okay. And Eva Lise, an old friend of mine, coming in from Orlando, no doubt, to be part of the show. Love seeing it. You got some legends there. I see the cooker, Bob Cook, still has the best punch in pro wrestling. Fonzie yeah. Bill Alfonso, Cuban assassin. But you've also got some of the regulars on there. My old friend, and I say that <coughs> friend, Rich Port Ayala, will yeah. be on this card. I see Frankie Chiazzo on there. John, uh, John Hudson is on there. Looks like a stack card, but Sean, tell us a little bit more about this. Well, it's a, you know, this is our first opportunity to work with really it's a, it's a conglomeration of charities in Pasco County. Uh, they're called the Pasco County Heroes and, um, they get to, it's basically a group of, uh, veteran organizations, first responder organizations, um, basically groups that uh, support those who support us. And the big, big um, organization that they are involved with collectively is to raise money for the Tunnels to Towers Foundation. Now, that was a foundation that was um, came out of the 9-11 tragedy originally to help first responders and their families that passed away or were injured in the towers um, that tragic day many years ago now, but um, they've expanded to really help all veterans, first responders, any basically hometown heroes that are in need. And the project they're working on right now that we're directly going to be helping them with is they, someone donated, I believe it's 60 acres of land in Pasco County. I believe it's in the, the Land O'Lakes area, but they're building 60 houses 
for uh, veterans, uh, first responders, anybody that was injured in the line of duty that needs a a home. Basically, they're going to be given a home mortgage-free. It's going to be completely paid for. And these homes are um, they're equipped to deal with whatever handicaps the individuals might have. So they're specially handicapped, equipped, and technologically advanced homes uh, for these heroes. And, and they, they're giving them away free. I believe, I, might, I don't quote me on this, but I believe they've already given away as a, as a total nationwide 120 homes this year so far. Wow. The Tunnels to Towers oh, Foundation. Awesome. It's an incredible organization, and the proceeds to, of this event are going directly to them, and we are just so excited about it. You know, we've got lots of, of great people volunteering to be a part of this. Like I said, we have several charitable organizations that are all selling tickets and getting the word out. The The school, was uh, they've, they've donated the gymnasium to us for the event. Um, everybody's just coming together. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful time. Um, you mentioned a few of the names that will be there. I actually just um, talked to uh, Lloyd Annoy. Do you guys know Lloyd? Absolutely. Lloyd is part of the, the, the family, first off. I know he yeah, lives in Tampa. Yeah. Yeah, he's Offa's son. So I guess that would make him Roman's brother. Roman Reigns' brother? I think so, I think yeah. So. I get confused. I get confused. There's so many of them. But uh, Lloyd is an awesome guy. He was part of the Samoan Gangster Club or something like that in ECW. And then was Samoan Alofa in WWE, um, and he goes by the name of L.A. Smooth now, which I think was his ECW name. But yeah, I just got off the phone with him about an hour ago, and he's going to be there making an appearance, signing autographs. May get in the ring. He's uh, he's, he's he's contemplating that idea. But um, we're continuing to sign on more and more people, and yeah, we're excited, man. It's going to be a, a great day for a great cause. Yeah, it absolutely sounds like it too. And, uh, Sean, can, where can people get tickets online or is this just at the door? Nope. You can get tickets online at www.live.com. www.live.com. We fully encourage everybody listening, get online, support this cause. Look, even if you can't make it, buy a couple of tickets, right? You know, just a few bucks out of your pocket. Veterans, people that served our country. And as uh, as Jeff has mentioned, his father was a career military man. My father, his most proudest accomplishment, other than me, I should say. Well, um, well which really, really sets the bar low when you start to think about it. But he, uh, his proudest accomplishment, <laughs> other than, than me, uh, was his time in the military. My father served in World War II in the Navy. And I can tell you it was something that given the opportunity to speak about, he was extremely proud. So I, I think this is such a great cause. And when Sean mentioned this to me, I was like, absolutely. You know, and I said, I have a feeling when I mentioned this to Jeff, Jeff's going to say, you can stop right there. I'm absolutely on board. We encourage everybody get online, buy your tickets. Even if you can't come, this is such a worthwhile cause. And honestly, we've had, we've already had such great support. We've had a bunch of tickets that have been bought from people around the country that found out about it that won't be there that are buying the tickets and then donating them to needy families in the area so that the kids can, uh, the families, whole family, the kids 12 and under are free anyways, but whole families will be able to come and enjoy the event um, thanks to the graciousness of of some of our, our supporters nationwide. And I can tell you Barry's 100% correct because 
when he reached out and said, Hey, can we uh, have Sean on? He wants to, uh, discuss this uh, event that he's having. It's a fundraiser for the military. I said, stop right there. We're good. You don't need to say anymore. Right. So, uh, That's a anyway, shoot. <laughs> I'm, a uh, shoot. I'm, uh, encouraging everybody in the brothership and all those listeners to reach out as Sean has done so much to, uh, support, uh, the CWF legends fan fest. He's always been very accessible. Uh, when, uh, when we're in town, uh, putting on a show and leaving seats for our group. And so, uh, let's, let's give a little back to Sean and uh, this worthwhile cause. Once again, that's July 22nd on exclusively at Wendell. Hold on. Let me pull it up here. Wendell Crenn Technical <laughs> High School. Uh, all you proud grads of Wendell Crenn, I encourage you to go to Barry. You didn't go to Wendell Crenn, correct? I, I got kicked out of my, my grades. I, I, I think Steve I Kern might have done his freshman Steve year. Steve Kern did, correct. Right. <laughs> 7650 Orchid Lake Road in Newport, Ritchie. Uh, and if you yeah. want some more information, you can reach out to uh, either Barrier or myself online, and we will put you in touch with our brother, Sean. And, Sean, once again, my man, thanks so much for joining us, and we really hope this uh, this event is a big success. Well, thank you guys. It's always a pleasure. You know, I'm a huge fan of both of you and everything you guys do and the entire brothership. I love all you guys. And let's just hope, Barry, that nobody holds Sean up at the box office. Barry, about time to wrap it up. We're starting to head for home, but we have not hit the home stretch just yet. We're still kind of rounding the turn. So before we actually, uh, you know, put the whip to the uh, horses behind and sprint for the finish, I want to give a couple of thank yous out there to a couple brother shippers. Our Barry, our friends, uh, Steve Raphael and Tim Graff recently posting some very, very nice comments about our Patreon, uh, you know, uh, show and how much they enjoyed listening to, uh, I think Steve was talking about the great Ganya interview and, uh, Tim sort of, uh, echoed that and said that he had had a chance to listen to the, some of the, uh, the back episodes of our Patreon shows. And we wanted to thank both those gentlemen, both good guys. And we appreciate them, uh, pointing that out, Barry. Yeah, they are. Look, I, I was so happy when you get, you know, and Tim is somebody, Stephen, I think was kind of late to the party to those were his own words, but Tim's a guy I think has been around, <coughs> pardon me, since we started, uh, from the very beginning. So, uh, when you get a chance to meet people that you've communicated with, you know, for a year or five or six years, that's always kind of a thrill, but it was great. Stephen was there. Tim was there. Uh, first know, uh, time attendees. First time attendees. Also with that, Fletcher Bailey's brother, Jonathan, first time attendee. Uh, always loved the first timers. I love the people that aren't first timers, but I always there were the there were some other first time things that happened uh, at the uh, fan fest that we talked about last week. I think very. Oh, <coughs> not, Ron not Gardner. Just, I remember. Well, Ron well uh, no, no. I mean, he was a first timer. Ron Gardner was also. Oh, that's what you meant. Oh yeah. So uh, we didn't mean anything else by that. So. On that note, I will say that Breaking Kayfabe of Outer and Barry Production, a fine production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, still held in high esteem by the administration of the Arcadian Vanguard Network. So anyway, on that note, for our producer, Sweet Lou Kippelman, and my co-host, Mr. Barry Rose from the Keystone State of Pennsylvania, I am Jeff Bowdern. Sometimes they call me the booker. I have not forgot my boy, Gunny. Yes, he, all you out there, you're going, ah, he's not going to talk about his boy Gunny. Yes, I am. I'm going to talk about my boy Gunny because I love him very much and I miss him. And Barry, every single friggin' day, I miss Gunny. And uh, as I told my wife, I, I talk to him because uh, 
I need you a question about yeah. that. So you were in a lot. Yeah, I'm going to go all weepy dad. I don't, and I don't want to do that. I don't want to do it, but I, I'm, I know that that's going to be one of the toughest days of my life. And when I say that, it, it's going to, when does the pain start to decrease? I know it never fully goes away. When does it start to decrease? I think, I think it began to decrease for me. And I don't know if this is something that you will choose to do or not. But when I went and when I, when Kim and I went, we adopted Snap. Uh, and it got to the point in my life where I told Kim, and I think I've mentioned this before that if I could have Gunny back and I could take another year of Gunny being with me, but I'd have to give up Snap and return him. And I said to myself, I couldn't do that because I, I love Snap so much. And, you know, when I, when I talked to Gunny, believe it or not, and maybe if you're not a dog person, this is going to sound ridiculous, but fuck it. You know, it's a, it's our show. So I can talk about my Gunny. But when I talk to Gunny, I, I tell him about Snap and I tell him how much Snap reminds me of him. And I think, uh, when that happens, that's when, it doesn't go away. I don't think it ever will because at my age, I don't think it ever will, right. but it eases because I know that I saved another life by, by getting snap. Uh, and that's why Barry and I both always talk about how rescuing an animal, well, whatever, if you're a cat person, you know, that's sure. not my bag, but if you're a cat person, you know, you're saving a life and you know that that life that you saved that becomes part of your life. That's why it's so worth it. And I, you know, the day after we had put Gunny down, if Kim had said, oh, let's go to the Humane Society and start checking out. No, I would have never. I would have said, nope, not going to happen. And the exact same thing happened to me when we we lost my boy Midnight in Beezer. You know, every time you lose an animal that is part of your heart, it takes a while to consider it. But then, you know, about a month after Kim started sending me photos from the Humane Society. Hey, what do you think? of This is a cute looking dog. This very, you know, women with their subtleties, Barry. You know, they have that that ability. And, you know, all of a sudden I started looking and, and you know, believe it or not, Snap was not the first dog I saw. I actually saw a dog that I think uh, he might have been a tripod. And I said, oh, that's a great looking dog. And the hoops they wanted us to jump through, not, not just because he was a tripod, but just to adopt from this one particular agency. I was like, that's kind of ridiculous. I can go to the Humane Society and their dogs are just as good there. And we were very blessed to find Snap. And uh, I'm appreciative, but I also miss my buddy Gunny. And on that note, before I get all weepy dad on you here, uh, once again, on behalf of uh, Sweet Lou and uh, my man Barry, I am Jeff Bowdrin. Sometimes they call me the booker. And until next week, episode 299. Good Lord, we'll be only two away. Barry, take it home.